0: InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. The availability of gambling is now found just about everywhere, and that means the dangers for compulsive gamblers are greater than ever. How can those at risk seek help? Here with the story, InfoTrack's Gina Tedesco. Gina? Thanks, Chris. Joining us now is Dr. Simone Rada, Associate Professor in the Auckland University of Technology, Psychology, and Neuroscience in Auckland, New Zealand. Your study finds that globally, one in every 400 adults tried to get help for gambling either in the past 12 months or at some point in their lifetimes. So, doctor, let's drill down just a bit here. According to your conclusions, how many people considered moderately at risk for becoming problem gamblers and also how many actual problem gamblers have tried to get help for their gambling?
1: Around 1 in 25 people that experience moderate risk problems for gambling have sought some kind of help across either the last 12 months or their lifetime. And we found that around 20% of people with gambling problems had also sought help. Everything from talking to a health professional to calling a helpline to speaking to someone in the community, such as a GP or another trusted person, about their gambling concerns.
0: And how does all this compare to people at low risk of becoming problem gamblers?
1: I guess it's helpful to unpack what it means a bit by low, moderate and problem gambling because that terminology can be a little bit confusing to people. What we know is that people considered low risk are having some concerns about their gambling. So it might be that they're feeling a bit guilty about it and it might be that they are spending more than they wanted on more than the infrequent occasion. And so we know that they pretty much do not seek help at all from any kind of professional source. But what they do do and what we would encourage people to do is there's lots of great websites and options for people to look at. And so that's what they tend to do. So they don't usually talk to other people and they don't usually seek help. People that are sort of starting to
0: have some problems with their gambling. And do your results indicate that problem gambling is actually growing?
1: Generally speaking, before the pandemic, problem gambling was remaining fairly stable What's happened over the last few years though is there are fewer people gambling, but it looks like the rate of problems are staying the same. And so what this means is that if you're someone that gambles fairly regularly, maybe once or twice a week on slots or casinos or on racing or gambling, that you may develop a problem and more so than what we saw in the past. So one of the things that has happened in the last couple of years is people have shifted to more online gambling and, you know, that starts to introduce new problems in terms of access because people, of course, can access online gambling any time of the day or night.
0: And here in the United States, it is now easier than ever to gamble in some of the respects that you mentioned, the online gambling. And now there are more casinos in cities throughout the country. Doctor, is there a link between gambling availability and greater problem gambling?
1: Yeah, there sure is. If you look at states that don't have easy access to gambling or, um, you know, land-based casinos or other forms of gambling, they pretty much have very low rates of gambling problems and then if you look at states that do have gambling widely available the rates of problem gambling are much higher and there's been studies that have looked at you know before and after a casino has been put in for example and noted that there's been an increase in those problems yeah so pretty much direct relationship between access and problems.
0: We're visiting with Dr. Simone Rada, associate professor at the Auckland New Zealand University of Technology, Psychology, and Neuroscience. This regards a recent study on the rates of people worldwide seeking help with their gambling. The study is published in the journal Addiction. Dr., gambling is increasingly recognized as a major international public health concern. What are countries around the world doing about it?
1: The approaches that are generally taken fall into either a public health approach or an individual or harm reduction approach. So what a public health approach means is that governments will introduce regulations or restrictions on access to gambling products or the way that people might use those gambling products. So these are things like... Deciding how many slot machines a casino can hold, for example, or where you can have casinos. So they make those kinds of decisions to try and limit the supply or the access to gambling. Harm reduction approaches kind of take a similar approach. It came out of the alcohol field where there was a recognition that, For a lot of people, engaging in the behaviour doesn't cause harm to a great degree and therefore it's best to try and reduce that harm. And so harm reduction techniques are things like introducing restrictions around access to cash in venues or having age limits on when people can come into a venue or use online gambling. And then we have an individual approach as well. And individual approaches
0: are really around treatment and supporting people
1: to make those changes to their gambling
0: problems. Do we know what type of help gamblers most often seek? And is there evidence that that one type is more effective than the others? It is a little bit tricky.
1: We wanted to know this from our study, and unfortunately it wasn't consistently reported. But what we do know by looking at a range of other studies is the likely most effective technique is cognitive behavioural therapy. And cognitive behavioural therapy, you might have heard this used in other places like for anxiety or depression, treatment or for alcohol and other substances. Basically, it helps people change the way they think about gambling. And that then leads on to having an impact to changing their behavior and feelings around it as well. Now, there's a good deal of evidence that that approach is effective. Unfortunately, people don't always get access to cognitive behavioral therapy because it's either too expensive or they can't get access to a free service. So there are other techniques as well that people use. So there's a group similar to AA called Gamblers Anonymous,
0: and that's very popular in the States and works for people as well. And what are some of the other barriers to problem gamblers getting help?
1: Yeah, great question. This is something that's fascinated researchers for a a long time now. And often it's because they are interested in why people don't access these services. So in other countries, the services tend to be undersubscribed because they're free. And so the reasons why people don't seek help are sort of around the characteristics of the system or the service and their own individual characteristics. So the service or system issues are around the cost, whether they can get there during opening hours. So, you know, people with gambling problems usually have to work a lot to try and overcome the financial harms. So it's very difficult for them to get to a counselling session between, you know, nine and five, for example. There is also issues where people have other responsibilities and it's difficult to access. But in terms of individual issues, one of the main things people talk about is that they want to do it themselves. They want to try and make that change themselves before needing to reach out and speak to someone else. And so some of my research looks at all the sorts of things that people can do by themselves so that they can address the problem without needing to take it that
0: other step. And regarding the gambler's denial that he or she has a problem, if a gambler can afford the gambling losses, does this mean the person is really not a problem gambler after all?
1: There are many, many examples that we see in the media about wealthy people that are able to go to the casino as much as they like and claim not to have a problem. And it's certainly correct that finances are a sign of a problem. So if a person is spending more than they can afford... That's usually one of the first, you know, indicators of harm where they can't pay the rent or the mortgage repayments or they've borrowed money from other people. But there are other indicators of problems as well. So, for example, feeling out of control or guilty about the behaviour, finding that gambling becomes a way of dealing with stress. And if someone does that over time and repeatedly, it can then be really difficult for them to have other coping ways. And so if someone's, you know, rich enough to be gambling as much as they like, I really wonder if they do have some of the other things going on that, you know, start to affect their self-esteem and might start to trigger some depression
0: or increased anxiety. So many issues, so many aspects to this problem. (laughs) Dr. Simone Rada, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your study. Thank you. For InfoTrack, I'm Gina Tedesco.
1: You're listening to InfoTrack, a production of Syndication Networks.